You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. If you've been joining us over the last couple of months, we've been taking a little bit of a journey through the book of Hebrews, which is this cool little book uh, in the New Testament, which just talks about how Jesus is better than anything else. That's its big point. Got one, Jesus is better than anything else. And so we're going to take a quick break from that in these holidays. We're going to talk about the gospel and how Jesus is better than anything, everything else because that's sort of what the Bible says anyway. So regardless of where you look in the New Testament, it just says that Jesus is better than everything else. And so we're going to talk about that. So this week I've been, I was just really getting into Scripture. I was wondering, you know, what am I going to preach on? What am I going to talk about? And I just started reading 1 Corinthians. So it's a letter to this church in a place called Corinth, written by a guy called Paul. And it's just this beautiful letter that Paul has written to this church, filled with God's truth. And as I was reading it, it started speaking to me and just revealing some deep truths to me. And I just, there was something there that I'm like, our church needs to hear this. This is something our church needs to meditate on and really soak itself in. And so we're going to be looking today at 1 Corinthians 15. The title of this sermon series is Keeping the Gospel on Repeat. That's what we're going to be looking at, talking a lot about the gospel of Jesus. Um, but before we, before we open up, before we look into it, I just want to start off. We are, we are a new church. Jono talked earlier today about how we're almost about to have our seventh birthday. And to be honest, God's grace has really been abundant in that. Um, It's clear because otherwise this church wouldn't have survived. It's uh, dived and resurrected itself multiple times over those seven years. And if you've been here from the, the very start, you would have seen these peaks and troughs time and time again. But by the grace of God, there's this community now that is forming and meets together weekly and has these relationships and our church is, is starting to, to learn and, and deepen their relationship with God and, and know what it means to follow Jesus. And so it's, it's really cool to be part of this new, relatively new church, seven years young, um, and, and see all these things. My wife and I moved over here from the northeastern suburbs, the Bible Belt of Melbourne, Um, to this great place, and it's been one of the biggest blessings that God has given us to not only see what God is doing, but to also have it happen to us. I don't think I've been challenged or grown more than in the last two years of being part of this spiritual family, this community um, who are on mission, trying to make all of life all about Jesus. And so it's been a great blessing to be a part of this, to see people come to faith, to see people become Christians, to learn more about Jesus and following him and how Jesus is better than everything else. But in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm always, there's a light bulb there that always says, danger. Because what you see time and time again with church movements, with new churches, with church plants, is that they start off really well, that the Spirit is moving, the Gospel is being preached, Jesus is being glorified, and then somewhere along the way they get complacent. And I'm not not necessarily talking about complacency and how hard those churches work, because some of those churches are the hardest working churches I know. 
I'm not talking about complacency in prayer. They're some of the most prayerful churches. I'm not talking about complacency in evangelism or, or reading the Bible or, or any of those things, but they become complacent about preaching the gospel and about having the gospel at the center of everything they do. This guy, um, Don Carson, has done a, a little bit of research into this about how church movements die, how church movements start decaying and move from these burgeoning, full, life-giving movements to not being around 10, 20 years later. He said there's four steps that these, these churches make continually. He says it moves at generations. The first generation preaches the gospel. They know what Jesus has done and they, they preach it. They boldly exclaim it from every part of their church, from everything that they do. Jesus has died for our sins. How amazing is this that Jesus is resurrected? It's part of everything that they do. And then the next generation, generation two, assumes the gospel. Well, you know, we, we, we've heard that predictable Jesus bit. We've heard that bit of the sermon. We can focus on the other stuff. We can focus on being a church of social justice. We can focus on being a, a prayerful church. or um, We can focus on being spiritual family. That's the most important thing for us to focus on right now. Generation three neglects the gospel. Those secondary things which are good and excellent and, and what, absolutely what Jesus is calling us to become the main thing. The gospel when, when push comes to shove and you ask these people what it means to be a Christian or what the gospel is, they could tell you uh, a gospel presentation. They've heard it before. They know the predictable Jesus bit. But the reality is that what it means to be a Christian is these secondary things. These things that are not the thing of first importance, which is the gospel. Generation 4 denies the gospel and walks away. When these things become, when the secondary things become the first things, what holds them to the church, what fills them with passion, is no longer there. So generation one preaches the gospel. Generation two assumes the gospel. Generation three neglects the gospel. And generation four denies the gospel. And what you see time and time again in these church movements, uh, especially um, Carson was looking at, these movements in the 50s and the 60s, is that these churches are no longer there 20, 30, 40 years later despite the fact that they were full of life. So the question that I ask myself all the time is, how do we as a church community make sure that we never lose the gospel at the center of everything that we do? How do we become that church that just has this message from Jesus at the core? How do we make sure we never lose that? And the answer I think, which is what the, the Bible says and which I, I think it affirms is that we keep the gospel on repeat. We keep the gospel on repeat. Hands up if you can remember when the Sony Discman came out. Yeah. I think John Hargrave, John Hargrave invented the Sony Discman. <laughs> so I remember growing up, I had a, a Sony Discman. And, uh, well, that's a lie, actually. Uh, I got... Not the Sony Disman, because that was the expensive brand version. I got uh, the not very good knockoff version that my nana bought me from Avon. Um, <laughs> and so it didn't have the repeat button. 
Um, and so you had to click back every time. But, but what, what, what happened was that with a Sony Disman, if you didn't have a CD, you couldn't listen to music. It's not like now with, when you've got Spotify or any number of um, online things where you can just download a track and listen to it time and time again. If you didn't have music, if you didn't have a physical CD to put in the Disman, it was useless. And so what inevitably happened with all of the CDs that I owned was that they became cherished possessions of mine. Because that was the way that I could listen to music. And so every single track of every album I ever purchased or bought was played on repeat until I knew every line of that song. So the very first album that I, I had in my possession, my nana also gave it to me with my Avon Sony Disman, was the uh, excellent album, Backstreet Boys, Backstreet's Back. <laughs> and so i got to tell you, I played that bad boy on repeat. I knew every line. AJ, man, my favorite. And then I saved up some more money. And so I went to the record store, not the record store, Sanity. They don't exist anymore. But, and, I, and I purchased my very first CD. My taste had grown up a little bit. And so I bought the best of Brian Adams. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I was thinking at the age of 14. But I knew every single song on that, that album. Summer of 69, Heaven. I, I loved it. And I knew every single, I knew when the music was changing what that would mean because I just played it on repeat. And so how do we as a church make sure that we never lose the gospel at the center of everything that we do? We play it like that Backstreet Boys album and we never, ever keep it off repeat. We play that track time and time again. That's how we keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do. Because the Christian faith, this, this thing that we're all a part of, this community, what it means to be a Christian is not about new things. It's not about new truths or new ways or, or new understandings, but it's about the old truths. It's about the old ways and the old message and soaking yourself in them until it becomes a very, like the very part of your identity. Martin Luther, the German reformer, says it like this. I think this is a beautiful quote. It says, The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by memory and reason alone, but is fully understood only when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. That's actually John Calvin, sorry. How do we do that? How does it possess our whole soul and penetrate to the inner recesses of our heart by keeping the gospel on repeat? Because the truth is that everyone needs this message. Everyone needs the gospel. Maybe this is the first time that you've walked into our church this morning and you're walking by on your early morning walk or run, enjoying this good weather, and you saw some people singing and were a bit confused, and so you've come in and sat down, and you're really not really sure what's going on anymore. That's how I became a Christian. Um, you need the gospel. You need the good news about Jesus. Or maybe you've been brought up in churches all your life, and you've heard the message, you know, the predictable Jesus bit. But your passion started waning, and your affections are low. You need the gospel. And maybe your heart's on fire. Maybe you sing the songs louder than everyone and you're telling all your friends about Jesus and this truth has just encapsulated all of your life. 
You need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel and we need to keep it on repeat. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to open up the scriptures. But I'm excited to share this because I think God's been speaking a lot to me through this about keeping the gospel on repeat in my life and what we can do as a church to keep the gospel on repeat. So I'm just going to pray for us. I'd love it if while I'm praying for you, you could pray for me um, and just help me, just like David said, help me realize that I'm just participating in what God's already doing. Father, Father, I can only give thanks for the wonderful way in which you've formed this community and brought people from all ends of the earth into this tiny, funny place of Caroline Springs. Lord, open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to this message of truth, the gospel. Lord, I pray that many today will come to faith or have their faith restored or persevere in this walk of following Jesus. Lord, I thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection because it's through that that we can have life ourselves. Amen. So I realized that my, my gospel per minute ratio is quite high at the moment. I've said the gospel at least 30 to 40 times in the first 5 to 10 minutes of this sermon. And it's occurred to me that this might be the first time that you've been in church before or maybe you've, you've come a number of times and you've never heard what the gospel means. And so I thought this would be a good time to explain. This is what the gospel is. When we say the gospel, this is what we're talking about. And so when we say the word gospel, what we really mean is good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. And primarily, it's good news about Jesus. It's like, have you ever been watching the football or some TV show and they interrupt what you're doing and saying, sorry, we have to stop this, this show for some very important news? That's this kind of news. It's stop whatever you're doing. It's not small kind of news. It's big, good news. And it's powerful news. It's the method by which dead men come alive, through which enemies of God become sons and daughters of Christ, where people come um, from not knowing God to knowing God. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful news. And so when we open up 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus and preached this news everywhere that he went, he has helpfully given us a really clear outline of what the gospel is. So I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 1 to 8, and then we'll work through uh, 3 to 8, line by line, verse by verse. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, 
he appeared also to me. Four points in Paul's gospel message. This is the gospel. I delivered to you as a first importance what I received. Point one, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Point two, he was buried. Point three, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And point four, he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve and more than five hundred brothers. Now the first thing, the first thing that we see is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. The Gospel is about Jesus. Jesus did many miraculous and wonderful things in his life that we can hear and see, or maybe not hear, but see in the Gospels when we read it and hear when it's preached. We can hear about or see or, or read that Jesus walked on water and healed the blind and gave, gave sight and um, he just did these many miraculous things. He was a friend to the sinner, to the, to the leper, to those on the outcast and he stood up to the religious and the political elite of the day. And so you look at him and he lived a, a fantastic, wonderful life. But the gospel message that Paul has. This is the most miraculous, the most wonderful, the most beautiful thing that Jesus died, that did, was to die. The most beautiful thing that Jesus did was die because what the gospel says is that Jesus died for our sins. A lot of the time when we, we talk about sin, it's um, this really abstract term. It's this thing that we sort of understand a little bit but we think oh, well I'm not that bad I'm not I'm not I'm not that bad it's something that's that comes up time and time again and I realize that it's it's quite common it's probably much easier to look at other people and see where they sin or see where they fall short where it's quite scarce to look at yourself and see yourself as a sinner something I've noticed is that when people apologize they always qualify it I'm sorry I didn't call you today, Sarah, but I'm tired. I'm sorry I didn't get around to the doing that work, Jono, but I was busy. Jono, I'm sorry that you went on holidays and I had a kilo of licorice that you put on your desk, but it was delicious. It wasn't me who did those things. That was some other person. It was the busy me or the tired me or the, the one who enjoys a kilo of delicious licorice. Wasn't, that's not my identity. That's just this other part of me. But the truth is that those things are a part of me. That's part of my heart. That's where these things come from. And God sees our heart. That's, that's a scary thought. That at my very worst, when my heart is planning and, and plotting and that I've got these evil thoughts inside of me, God sees that. So a lot of us just focus on what we do and if we, we stop doing all the bad things then that'll be okay but God sees our heart. And I can guarantee that if anyone had their, the thoughts of their heart, if their heart's desires was placed on this screen and played through like a movie uh, reel, that no one would want to stick around. If this happened right now, if Kirk had bought this new magic heart revealing device and was putting my life on the screen, I'd be walking out as it started playing and people would be pointing and going, oh man, that's Jimmy. I'm like, no, no, man, that's not Jimmy. That's my Asian brother, Jimmy Jung. Don't get it. You got it wrong. That's not me at all. That's not me. But it, but it is. That's my heart, which is rotten and filthy and mean. 
That's how, that's how I know that I need Jesus, is that my heart's desires are a bit, bit rotten. It has always been this way ever since I was born. How do we know? How do we know if our hearts are like that? How do we know if we've got sinful hearts, with hearts like Jesus describes and saves us from? Simple. We don't want what God wants. If we don't want what God wants, then our hearts are sinful. This can be shown in heaps of ways. It can be shown just in the fact that I try and uh, break all of God's rules that I say, oh, I don't want what you want, God. I see, see what you're trying to say, but I'm going to make some new rules for my life and this is how I'm going to live and this is how I'm going to justify myself. So I'm going to break all your rules, but God, I'm also going to make some new ones. I'm going to place myself in your position and make my own rules. And what it just reveals is that we want to be God. We want to be God and our hearts are sinful. And what, what we see is in the middle of all this messiness, in the middle of all this brokenness, in the middle of all this bad news, that our hearts are sinful, that we're separated from God. That's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is death and separation from God. Steps Jesus and says, I see it. I see everything. I see your very worst day. I see the most wicked of your heart's desires. I see the worst part of you and I want you to know that I love you and I died for you so your sins can be forgiven. That's why we call it good news. There's some bad news in there for sure. No one likes being told that they're a sinner or that they're separated from God or that their hearts are evil and want evil things and want to replace God. But the good news is that God sees that and says, I'm sending my son to die for you so that your sins can be forgiven. It's point one in Paul's beautiful gospel outline. Point two, that he was buried. This is an easy point. You don't bury alive people. Jesus was really dead. Every couple of years there comes a new rumor that, that maybe Jesus swooned or maybe he just fainted. The Romans were masters at torture and at killing people. If they said that Jesus was dead, he was dead doesn't matter what kind of word you want to use for it. Gone, past, deadsies, gonzies. Jesus was dead. He was buried. That's why they buried him, because he was dead. Okay? I don't think I can make it more clear. On the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, I'm sorry, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus didn't stay dead. Often when I hear a gospel presentation or someone tells me the good news, they often leave Jesus on the, in the tomb. Jesus died for our sins and that's, that's good. My sins are forgiven. That's it. One of the most powerful and beautiful and wonderful things is that Jesus rose again on the third day. Jesus isn't left in the tomb. Jesus is alive and as Jono says, he reigns today when he ascended to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15 is this, this wonderful chapter and we're only taking a, a snapshot at it today. But if you go on and read a bit more, um, you'll see how important the resurrection is because if Jesus' death 
guarantees the forgiveness of our sins, that the relationship between God and man can be restored, then the resurrection of Jesus promises and guarantees that we will be given life, that we will be raised from the dead just as Jesus was raised from the dead. Because if, my, if I was just left in the grave, then it's, it's meaningless. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15, where is it? 17 to 23. I'm just going to read through this. I'm not going to explain it too much. This is Paul arguing with some people about whether Jesus really rose from the dead. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, that means dead, um, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, not, meaning not in any future life in heaven, we are, all, we are of, of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also everyone in Christ shall be made alive. As Christ rose from the dead, we have the promise and the guarantee that we too be risen and rose raised from the dead. Sarah's laughing at me because I, I was talking about this the other day and I think I've made the same mistake of saying risen and rosen and the correct grammar is raised. I think I've said that seven times in the last week or something. John I preached a couple of weeks ago about don't trust your preachers because they'll fail you and trust Jesus. It's a good example. Jesus guarantees our resurrection. Then his last point in the scripture, it says that after he was raised on the third day, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Jesus lived, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised again on the third day, and then he appeared to many people. I remember catching up with a, a young person um, at my last church in St. John's in Diamond Creek, and we were talking about the evidence for Jesus. How can I really trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did and what other people have said about him? I say, okay, well, if you did something wonderful and miraculous, what would you do? How would you let people know? Well, I'd probably put it on Facebook. Okay. And so just say that you had done something wonderful or, or miraculous. Say that you'd raised someone from the dead or that you'd been raised from the dead and you posted it on Facebook, what would people say? Pics or it didn't happen. Okay, pics or it didn't happen. So what would you do if you didn't have a camera and Facebook didn't exist? Um, I'd probably write about it. Okay. And what if you were too busy doing other stuff um, and you need, really need to get this news out? What would you do? I'd probably get someone else to write it for me. Actually, that sounds like a better idea in the first place. Can you, write, you can write my story for me. Okay, well, you've just described the New Testament. These people have heard this news. Jesus has appeared to more than 500 people, the apostles, to Paul, to Cephas, whose, whose real name is Peter, um, and to James, his brother, and they went and wrote stories about him. They went and wrote the evidence to say, this happened, this is the proof, this is my proof. And one of the, the astounding things is that he said, Jesus didn't just appear to the apostles or these, these people who were really close to him who stood to benefit from his resurrection. 
He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters who could at any time go and say, this story you wrote, just a bunch of rubbish. The, the Romans, the authorities, the Pharisees would dearly have loved to be able to go, go and say, the stories you wrote were false. See, I've got all these people who say that this didn't really happen. Jesus didn't really die, he swooned. Or Jesus didn't really rise, uh, raise, rise, rose. Got it. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They would have loved to say that. But they couldn't because they had 500 people who would stand up and say, actually, this is what I know. And there were more than like, dozens of New Testament authors who would corroborate their evidence and say, Jesus rose from the dead. There's evidence. <laughs> and so with this gospel message, this good news about Jesus, how do we never ever lose it at the center of our church. We do this. We talk about it. We keep the gospel on repeat. We mention it to each other. We mention it in sermons. And we don't make the secondary stuff the important thing, the first thing. That's what Paul describes the gospel. I delivered to you this message of first importance, of number one importance. Jono, this morning, showed us so many good and important things our church is doing. We're involved in a missions trip to the Philippines. But how is that going to be achieved? How how are people on the mission trips going to be sustained? By keeping the gospel on repeat. Later in November, November 14, we're hosting this conference, the Legacy Conference, about how we're going to equip parents to disciple uh, their kids. And number one in my Uh, talk or sermon or whatever we're doing then, the number one tip is going to be how are you going to do that? By keeping the gospel on repeat. How are we going to sustain and maintain all these different areas of ministry that we're doing, of the youth ministry, of the kids ministry, of the worship ministry, of the, the sound desk? How are we going to do all these things? By keeping the gospel on repeat. And by never, ever, ever making things of secondary importance the first thing. On camp, we talked about spiritual family, this beautiful idea that every single Christian in the entire world is united to one another because they are sons and daughters of the one most high God. Yet we'll never understand that truth if we never understand the gospel. If we move away from that, that this gospel unity, it'll just die. There's no meat behind it. Keeping the gospel on repeat is the only way this little church, this community, this spiritual family will sustain and maintain until the ends of the earth. So last night, last night I was looking for how to end my sermon. I was looking for application points. And so instead of writing my sermon, I ended up on best of Tumblr memes and looking for BuzzFeed lists. Uh, instead, and so it actually gave me a great idea. Well, how am I going to end this sermon about keeping the gospel on repeat? I'm going to write a BuzzFeed list. That's how, that's how I'm going to end this sermon, by giving five ways that our church and our community can keep the gospel on repeat. Keep in mind that next week we're going to explore this a bit more, about how we can speak the gospel to one another and encourage each other. But I've just got five tips 
for keeping the gospel in repeat. And I, before I say it, I want to say something else. Often when we have like five tips to become something or five tips to become healthy or five whatever, keep in mind that these are advice and not everything. It's not the Bible. It's not the authority. These are just some thoughts and some wisdom that I've been able to glean from the scriptures. And if they're not true, then reject it. Okay? I want to say that because I've been involved in, in lots of churches and, and seen lots of sermons where people are like, five ways to get a, be, have a better prayer life. And you do all the tips and then you realize that actually your prayer life is much the same as it was before and so you feel like a failure. So I want to avoid that. We're saying these are some helpful next steps for our church to keep the gospel on repeat. So I've got five, five areas, five ways that we can keep the gospel on repeat in our church. The first one is worship. The first one is worship. I think our music team do a really wonderful job of this, but each and every week we come and we worship as a community in praise of God. And why do we praise God? Because we know the gospel and the good news. In our, in our, our worship, you listen to the lyrics, and the lyrics are gospel-fueled. They're filled with this truth that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, he was really dead, he was gonzies, that... He rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then he appeared to many. It's what is the center of our worship music. Um, when, I, when I first started coming to this church, I, I wondered for a long time why no one would uh, sit next to me. So I always sat in the front row and um, Jono would sometimes sit next to me and then I slowly got a few more friends. Um, and so Davinda, um, who many of you know, is one of our youth leaders, started sitting next to me. And slowly over time, what I realized is that the only reason that those three people stood together, myself, Jono and Davinda, was because we were probably the worst singers in the church. And so I'm not a very good singer, and so I also sing loudly. Pitch and key and melody are foreign concepts to me. I have off and loud. That's the two modes that I sing in. But the reason that I sing loudly is because I want to remind myself of the gospel. Because when I come to church, often I don't feel like it. I don't feel like worshipping God. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like doing any of those things. I don't do it any other time except in the shower when I sing my Backstreet Boys songs. And so I want to, when I come to church, sing Jesus-centered, gospel-fueled lyrics. And I want to sing them at the top of my voice. Because I've got, just like everyone else, I've got a heart that is deaf that needs to hear this truth. And the only way it's getting in is by loudly singing out of key, for me, anyway. Second point, second tip, second piece of advice for how our church can keep the gospel on repeat is in our preaching. So in this message every single Sunday, I've listened to a lot of sermons. I've been a Christian since I was 13, 14. I've listened to a lot of good sermons. I've listened to a lot of bad sermons. But at the end of a lot of sermons that I haven't really agreed in or really just didn't really leave me with much hope or encouragement, is that at the end of it, they just didn't give me the gospel. They didn't give me the truth about Jesus. And so I was left feeling there wasn't enough. Like you might, you might have been involved in churches for a very long time, and when it comes to that predictable Jesus bit in the sermon, your eyes glaze over and your hearts glaze over and you start to become hard-hearted and just don't listen. And what I want to say is, thank God for the predictable Jesus bit in sermons. Thank God for faithful Bible preachers who have made it their life's ambition, their life's work, their life's dream to do the faithful 
predictable Jesus bit week in, week out to encourage and strengthen their congregation. If you come to our church, this is a challenge that any time, if you come to our church and you hear a message which at the heart of it doesn't have the gospel, confront us. Challenge our pastors. Challenge Jono. Challenge Sarah with the worship music. Challenge me with the youth ministry or Suzanne with the kids ministry. If you don't see the gospel at the center of it, say, that's not right. That's not right. You're focusing on things of secondary importance. You need to focus on the most important things. Keep the gospel on repeat. Tip number three. Keeping the gospel and repeating the things that we enjoy. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is Revelations 2 for me. Jesus is talking to a church in Laodicea. I'll just read it out because, in all honesty, it, it describes this really banging church. It's doing really well, but it's forgotten something. Sorry, not Laodicea, this is church in Ephesus. This is what you get for saying things before you open up the verse. This is what Jesus says. I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who, who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. What's first first importance? What's the first love? The gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, of which I am the foremost, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day and appeared to many. And we have to train ourselves to enjoy that. Often... um, I was thinking about this because I didn't write anything down from my BuzzFeed list. I just thought I could wing it, um, and it's going well so far, I think. Um, but I was thinking about ways to do analogies about how we can enjoy the gospel more and more and more, and it made me think of broccoli. So growing up, I hated broccoli. I could not imagine any food worse. I also hated spinach. They, they could be interchangeable, broccoli and spinach, okay? But growing up, I've taught myself and encouraged myself to actually enjoy broccoli and spinach way more than anything else. I uh, lived in a house, a share house with many people, and for the first month of living in that share house, I ate nothing but processed food. So there's these little um, Asian party packs with like spring rolls and dim sims, and I think I ate about seven of those in the first month, gained four kilos and felt very, very sick. And ever since then, I've just had this I don't know, compulsion to really enjoying vegetables. Wasn't there at the start. But over time, I've trained and encouraged myself to love vegetables. And sometimes we need to do that with the gospel. Sometimes with that predictable Jesus bit. There's other things. You can focus on the other things. We've heard this before. Come back to the predictable Jesus bit. Come back to the gospel truth. Be encouraged by it and don't forget your first love. Uh, Tip number four. How to keep the gospel on repeat? By encouraging each other with gospel truth. Last year, I I became really sick. So after a long process of um, throwing up and vomiting and all these different things, I was diagnosed with uh, 
I was, say I was diagnosed with undiagnosed chronic gastritis. So I had chronic gastritis for seven months and didn't know it. And so my internal organs were all banged up and really quite sick. And I became, during this time, really discouraged and really depressed because I could see that all that God was doing and all that God was calling us to, that I had this youth ministry which was growing. People were starting to learn who Jesus was and taking their first steps. And I'm like, my body is like just falling apart on me, God. What are you doing? I started doubting God's sovereignty. I started doubting whether God was in control, whether this was what God had planned for our life, whether he'd actually caused us to Caroline Springs or whether it was just, I, I really like Jono and the fact that he leaves out all these licorice for me to eat. And during this time, my, my friends gave me all this just advice, which is ridiculous. Clichés and platitudes. It'll be all right, man. Just... Just give it some time. Just give it some time and it will be okay. She'll be right, mate. You'll, you'll, you'll be okay. God has, a, God has a plan for your life. He, he won't let you suffer too much. Just dumb. It's not true. Well, God does have a plan for my life, but he also achieves that through suffering. But that's another sermon. The best thing that anyone has ever done for me was during this time was sitting me down and reminding me of the gospel saying that if Christ has already raised you from the dead, then how much more can you trust him with your earthly body? If, Jesus has, if God has already shown his love in sending his only son for you to die, to forgive you from your sins, which are eternally separating you from the Father and Creator of the entire universe, well, how much more can you trust him with this circumstance? When Jesus was crucified on the cross and died and was buried, and yet God came through, then how much more can you trust him with this situation, which you know is going to get better. You know it's going to get better. The doctors have told you that. You're just losing hope. Put your trust in the gospel, because in the gospel, it reveals the hope of the world. And I encourage all of us to do that. When we give advice to one another, we'll talk more about this next week, when we give advice to one another, remind each other of the gospel. That's the best advice, the best uh, truth that anyone could ever hear when they're suffering or when they're anxious or when they're just losing hope. Because anything else, second best. But we want to deliver the thing of first importance. The last tip about keeping the gospel on repeat in our homes, in our ministries, in our church, is to keep the gospel on repeat at home. I know um, the pressure on me is to have this Sunday service where I come and I worship Jesus and I praise God and I sing loudly because that's the only volume that I have and sometimes I preach and then I come home and I live a, a different life and I get upset with my wife and I um, just revert back to who I've always been. This person who wants to be God, wants to make the rules and break the rules and has a dirty heart. And so one of the best ways is just having things around my house that remind me of the gospel. By reading, by having artwork, by having different things around our house. Sarah always, we have this like, I want to say illuminatable, but I don't think that's a word. This um, backboard which can be lit up and just puts quotes from the gospel, from the Bible, from great Bible men and followers of Jesus to encourage us and to remind us of the gospel 
even when I'm at home and when I'm weary and when the last thing I want to do is think about God or Jesus and I just want to play FIFA, I can't because this big lit up backboard is right there and takes my attention. Keeping the gospel on repeat, reminding myself of the truth time and time and time again until, like John Calvin, it resides in the inner recesses of our soul. That's my, that's my prayer for this church, that we are a gospel-driven, gospel-fueled Jesus church that never, ever, ever takes the gospel off our playlist, that we keep this gospel truth, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day and that he appeared to many, that in our worship, in our sermons, in our preaching, in how we encourage each other, in what we're excited by and in how we live our lives, that at the core of all those things is this impulse and this compulsion to keep the gospel on repeat. That's my prayer for all of us. And so I'm, I'm just going to pray. Part of the, the issue is that often we can't do this. It's hard to do these things, and so we need God's help. Um, I'm in completely incapable of keeping the gospel on repeat on my own strength. And so I need God's strength, and so I ask him, namely he's a good father who gives good gifts and wants nothing more for us than to have a life marked by a gospel-centered playlist. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you. I, can just, I just need to erupt in praise for this truth, this story and this message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your only Son, was sent into the world to die for sinners, of which I am number one. That he was buried, he was really dead, that he rose again and appeared to many. Lord, I thank you for this, that you would send something so precious for such an unworthy recipient, Lord. And that even though I know this truth, that it still hasn't permeated throughout my soul, that there's still places inside me that don't want this gospel playlist. Lord, and so I need your help. Help me. Show me the areas of my heart and the areas of my soul that don't want this and break them until nothing's there but the gospel and the truth about Jesus. Lord, I pray for this congregation and this community who are working out what it means to follow Jesus, whether they're wondering about taking their first step or their 500,000th, that they never grow weary of hearing the melody of the gospel. Lord, we can't do it on our own strength. We are weak and weary, and yet we have the God who created the entire universe, who we know is a good father, who loves his children, and we can call ourselves children because of the gospel. Lord, I beseech you on behalf of all the people here, convict us and lead us into keeping the gospel and repeat. Amen.